0: Hey, welcome back to Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm your host, John Abrams, and today we have a guest uh, once again, uh, Dr. Nick Vias, uh, who uh, has a very interesting educational background, of course, but uh, the research into supply chain and supply chain innovation, as well as the work he does at USC. Actually, Dr. Nick, if you could introduce a little bit about your program and what you do at the university. Uh, I I know people would love to hear it. I'm fascinated by it.
1: Well, John, thanks for having me. Uh, So I'm the Associate Professor within the department called Data Science and Operations at the Marshall School of Business. I'm also the Founding Executive Director for Kendrick Global Supply Chain Management Institute and Academic Director for our Master's of Science in Global Supply Chain Management.
0: Excellent stuff. And I'm I, one of the things that uh, we didn't talk about in our last episode, but I, I want to maybe kick this one off with, is those of us that have been in supply chain for a long time, we've optimized different dimensions of supply chain, but we're often optimizing in the past with people. And I'll, I'll tell a short story of a uh, a large sporting goods company that uh, was based in Chicago. It's been acquired by a Chinese conglomerate now, but large sporting goods company that we all know and love, especially those of us in Chicago. And when I was talking to them several years ago about some of their supply chain practices, they introduced me to a team of people, and what they would do is they would make sure that their product information was communicated to retailers that they were selling to, and uh, retailers all around the globe. And I said, golly, for a team of whatever this is, 20 people, to communicate all of that information, that must be very difficult. And they said, oh, well, we, we make it easy. Uh, we only communicate all of our product information to just a few retail channels. And I said, no, how can that be? Because I buy your products at all these different retailers. Yeah, we, we largely ignore them. And what's even more interesting is that when a large retailer like Walmart asks us for a seasonal update of our sporting goods, we shut down all distribution of product information to all of the other channels. Stunning. Uh, How often does that happen? Uh, You know, three or four times a year. Stunning. So I use that story to, uh, I don't think that humans can keep up with, the digitization of the supply chain. There is not a way to keep up with the diversity of retail channels or selling channels and the variations in product information using humans. I don't believe that is possible. And so maybe let me prompt you, you've done work with AI and automation and all sorts of things in your, uh, in your career, in your academic uh, history as well. What do you think the future looks like from an automation, from an AI, from a less human perspective?
1: So I think the supply chain, the global supply chain and the digital supply chain are one and the same now. Mm. I mean, we will not and cannot and should never will have a global supply chain without digital supply chain integrated into it. So that cat is out of the bag, meaning we are now living in the decade in which the digital underpinning of your infrastructure will be more important than the physical, both the hard and the soft infrastructure that you would need. So I think the technology, uh, both the disruptive and integrative technology framework has been now uh, synonymous to our operational world, as we know, in supply chain.
0: So there is no, because even in presentations that I do today, I will often uh, have a slide that will say, you know, um, supply chain, and then I'll have another slide that will say digital supply chain as if those are two different things. I do that because most people I'm talking to who are in the manufacturing or the retail space do see that as two different things. So it's interesting to me that you just know there is no way to separate those anymore.
1: Right, because I think what you will see that I stated this about four years ago in one of my white paper, that if you do not have your digital supply chain fingerprints, it's not in your supply chain network, you will be obsolete by 2025. So 35% Mm. of the S&P 500 companies will disappear simply because they have not been able to digitally transform the supply chains and keep up with the pace by which the ecosystem is evolving. And, And I believe when I said that four years ago, the pandemic, we hadn't lived through it. I think the COVID has suddenly accelerated that. I have not modeled that to factor in the COVID impact on this, but if you were to just imagine the disruption the COVID caused and the importance of now digitally transforming your supply chain has become so necessary that you no longer have a luxury to sit back and wait to see that you really need to transform and integrate some of these digital capabilities that the uh, system has to offer.
0: So you can sit back, of course, brands do. I see it all the time. You can sit back, but the consequence is death of your brand, is what you're saying.
1: Well, I'm, I'm not just saying that. I'm promising you that you sit back for five to ten years, you are inevitable in terms of disappearing from your space.
0: Now, does that apply equally to... Uh, brands and retailers or or is the onus on one side of that equation to digitize
1: i think the onus is going to be on end-to-end supply chain so it doesn't matter in mm-hmm. the front end of the supply chain or the middle end of the supply chain or the back end i think what we see is a massive infusion of iot devices the adaptation that we today have in terms of the number of units i think an average and a 7.2 billion people on the planet. Today, we are living with 1.6 devices per human being. And that number will go up to four to six electronically connected devices. All of, all of these devices is, is nothing but a data gathering. It's mm. capturing some critical information about you, about the equipment, about your inventory, about something in your supply chain.
0: So IOT,
1: IoT is a huge part of our lives, as we know.
0: So those of us, uh, so so I uh, worked in the media lab at MIT for a, a, <laughs> a shockingly long period of time, uh, the Internet of Things, uh, IoT devices. And, and really, when you take that to everything is connected, uh, both your product, the container your product is in, the pallet that your product is on, the container in which that pallet resides on a carrier uh, across the water, whatever. When When you track that, all of those different touch points, and then begin to analyze it and begin to use machines to analyze behaviors of that product, where it's going, how efficient it is, there's all sorts of uh, manifestations of that. If we're going to look at clearing customs in a, an automated way, maybe you don't actually have to unload the container into the port anymore. Maybe it's transiting through a geographically fenced area where the container is now taxed or recognized by that country or that municipality in a way that doesn't need to be touched anymore by humans. So the impacts of IoT, I think, can't be fully imagined. And so I just want to call that out for those of you listening in who, we have a lot of people who listen in and and very much focus on the physical side of products. The Internet of Things or the digitization of the even packaging is a fascinating topic. I want to push a little bit into, once you have that information, I do believe that that the machines have to pick up more of the thinking, more of the intellect, uh, meaning that with AI and learning patterns and understanding uh, where there is a gap in the information chain between manufacturer and consumer, the AI will pick up on those gaps or that inquiry and close them without human interaction. So, back to my sporting goods story at the beginning of this, where uh, a large brand is just not filling out consumer-related or retailer-related information because they don't have the time or the bandwidth. I just have long thought, it's not going to be human-reliant to do that anymore. What point does that shift? I know it's underway, but what point is having a human team of 20 people providing product information, or any part of the logistics or supply chain? At what point are humans just not your go-to anymore? You just can't add labor enough, I don't believe. I don't believe you've been able to for a long time. But at what point does that become endemic across the supply chain?
1: So, John, let me let me take your analogy of the sporting goods, and let me actually overlay this futuristic map of supply chain. You know.
0: Love it. I may actually take this right back to them, by the way, but go.
1: <laughs> so, so imagine I know the consumers uh, that I cater to because I have their spending habits. I have the data sets on when they buy, how much they buy, what their lifestyle is. I have all the data sets, right? So I pretty much can predict and cluster my demand side in a very sophisticated way. My demand side, I already addressed, but I have an immense amount of intelligence that even my consumer don't know about what they're going to buy I know better than them about what the needs are. Now on the supply side, I already have all the data sets from raw, raw material, where it sits to how much do I have. And in real time, I have an inventory snapshot of the raw material through my WIP, uh, work in process inventory in the manufacturing, finished goods, and in transit. Now dynamically, I no longer need human driven SNOP, sales and operations planning. I have dynamic demand side data. I have dynamic inventory on the water or on the land or on the train, real time and I have inventory pictures on the supply side. The machine learning model and AI algorithm can help me make a decision. So the container doesn't have to be dedicated when it lands support of Los Angeles that it has to come to Juliet, uh, Illinois to be unloaded and ship out the three months ago, I forecasted that those inventories should be in Kansas and Illinois and Ohio. I dynamically can route that to where it needs to be based on what has occurred yesterday and day before. So think of everything we have done for the last several hundred years about human driven intelligence, right? Through intuitions, instinct, a couple hundred years, uh, feelings about how we think things should be to then spreadsheets based or paper and pencils and the clipboards to now advanced algorithm-based. The difference in advanced algorithm-based that I don't have to think. Models can teach itself. Model is learning the behavior, both on the demand side and the supply side. It also has the data sets about the and environmental issues and weather. So you're, you're Chicago and you're saying, hey, there is a plenty of rains coming in and storms in the afternoon. Guess what? That may change some of the demand of what people will buy or won't buy. The model will predict that, factor in right away and make decisions. So only time the humanly, I believe within the next five to 10 years, we will come to the space that we, we will only be dealing with exception, not the rule. Rules will be managed by these algorithms that they're much more sophisticated. Not only how we have assigned the variables both the predictive and prescriptive, but they're learning through the data sets. And this data sets is growing by day in a large volume sets. And it's going to be increasing and doubling every five and a half years. So imagine we have now come to the space where the human capabilities of managing this supply chain end-to-end is no longer going to be capable of the way we have designed the supply chain networks over the last 30, 40, 100 years. So we're going to have to become overly reliant on this sophistication. And I think we are here. The technology is here. Sophistication is here. Human capital is here. It is about the willingness of the leadership to kick their chairs and say, hey, let's get up and embrace this future that's upon us, and integrate that.
0: That's uh, th- there's so many profound things in in what you're saying, and and if we keep this mental model of uh, you know there's a team of people working in quote supply chain at a large sporting goods manufacturer, retasking those people not to be doing the heavy lifting of providing the information to some next step in the supply chain, but to simply be dealing with the exceptions where the machine erred out or that there was a, a new regulation that has to be thought about encoded into the data so that that information can flow more freely. If you switch the mental map, the mental model of what those people are used for and what their value is, you can get so much more benefit out of the supply chain. So that's one point that I took away from your comments. The other, though, is a fundamental rethinking of what those of us that have grown up in the world of distribution centers and warehousing and inventory management. And it's kind of funny. When you when you sort of suggested that the warehouse doesn't have to be uh, and you didn't say it, but I, this is what I heard: uh, the warehouse is is global, and it's everywhere, and it's where that product is because you can now understand where that product is and plan in sort of real time where that product is going. And so, yes, you may you may have some predictable uh, information that says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna box these up in a particular way and put them on a particular uh, carrier." in order to get them to a particular part of the world. But things might change, you know, the typhoon comes. And so, you know, we're gonna redirect that inventory because you know what? Nobody's playing baseball right now in that area. There's a typhoon. So, so that's sort of uh, not only machine-driven uh, long-range planning and then responding to inventory demand patterns in real time, those things challenge, look, I, I'm, I'm not a young chicken anymore. What I learned about how to manage a distribution center, I learned 20 years ago. And those frameworks don't need to exist anymore. I don't need to think about my inventory in the same way. And and I can lean on the machines to help me uh, both with the planning side as well as the real-time delivery side. And that's uh, that's. Fascinating. I also don't think it's where the majority of warehousing operations, you know, you, you could go to a seminar today that would talk about warehousing operations in the same way they talked about it 30 years ago.
1: Absolutely, John. And, and again, I think the, the, uh, for your listeners, I think the careful thing is here we're not saying that we have to get to this stage, an ultimate state of digital transformation from here to there in a s- swoop of time. We're saying there is a gradual transition mm-hmm. and both the predictive and prescriptive capabilities can be utilized in a most efficient way for you to move your organization and personally yourself to see what that would look like. And, and, and that promised land looks incredibly bright, incredibly efficient. And I think in a world of supply chain, What really gets me up every morning is that outlook that we are in the frontier that is so brilliant then how we, you and I, muscle through efforts, inner store transfers, inner DC transfers because somebody screwed up the forecasting uh, six months in advance and couldn't get it right. And you know what happened then, right? All of those things, can you imagine not having to deal with it and we get the right product at the right place at the right time in a right way with a much more sustainable ways across the network with a true transparency, what I call the glass pipeline of digital data flowing without friction is the world that we are embarking on it in the future of supply chain.
0: I just love your enthusiasm. I, I really want to thank you. These last couple of episodes that we did, you you have a way to frame That future that is highly optimistic. And and I really appreciate that because, you know, we we deal with a lot of the muck in supply chain. And uh, I love your enthusiastic and optimistic outlook. And I really want to thank you for that. Uh, 20 minutes, again, has flown by. And I, I thank you for your time. I can't wait to have you back again in the future. I feel like we just scratched the surface. So thank you very much for your time today, Nick.
1: John, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. To stay up to date with our latest podcast releases, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can also learn more about the podcast at RethinkingSupplyChain.com. Thanks for listening.